All right. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Zach Perez, a director at G2VP, a venture capital firm based in Menlo Park. Uh, I'm joined by Ty Finley, a good friend and another investor. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Yeah. Hey, Ty Finley, managing partner here with Iron Spring Ventures, um, early stage venture capital fund uh, focused on digital industrial down in Austin. Great to be here, Jack. Awesome. Uh, great to have you. Uh, so our, our friends at uh, FreightWaves asked us to talk a little bit about uh, what it means to be a, a sector-focused fund and the advantages of, of being sector-focused. But uh, actually, before I get into that, uh, do you realize the last time we saw each other in person was at FreightWaves in Chicago last year? You are spot on. I did not realize that, but it was the uh, freight waves before freight waves went at home or at live. That's that's wild to think about, but uh, yeah. so it goes twenty twenty. Nothing has changed in the last year, right? Uh, I grew up beard. I got you know. Looks <laughs> great. Looks great. Um, so, uh, well, first I'll just say for for G two. Uh, what we do, we invest in later stage ventures, uh, later stage uh, VC companies that are sustainably transforming traditional industries. And for us, that means industries like transportation, manufacturing, supply chain logistics, ag, energy. Um, and uh, I guess before diving into a few kind of questions and topics, what does uh, sector focus mean for Iron Spring? Yes, very similar for us. We, we we focus on earlier stage venture investments in what we define as digital industrial, and that's a fancy buzzword, but legacy industries such as transportation, manufacturing, construction, energy. Um, my joke is if Mike Rowe and the Dirty Jobs crew would go film it and we could bring some software in there to make it more efficient and productive, that's all we know how to do and that's all we're going to do. And so it's very aligned, actually, Zach, as you know, to G2's outlook, except for you guys are one stage uh, later in the funding cycle. You know, we'll have some of that discussion. So hence a great partnership of sharing insights and opportunities. And I think both of us share extensive industrial operating uh, support behind both of our networks, which is great. So our goal so, is to come in after you guys invest uh, at two or three times the price and just make sure that you guys look smarter and, and better than us. You said it. I didn't, Zach. So I like it. <laughs> we, we, we All jokes aside, really love partnering up with you guys um, for the reason we'll have this discussion. So, so Zach, maybe to kick us off here, why is there a specialization going on? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, I think the main reason is that it's it's just uh, a better way to do venture capital. So uh, there's a lot of research around uh, from organizations like Cambridge Associates that suggests that specialized funds uh, tend to have higher returns than generalist funds. Um, they had some data that uh, uh, you know. In the end, our goal is to is to make returns, is to to make money off of the investments that we make and invest in great companies to do that. Uh, Cambridge suggested that specialist funds return about 23% IRR, whereas uh, generalist funds return about 17 or 18%. Got it. And, you know, what I'd like to do is step back to and you know, why is it that that's occurring and why does it drive returns? And so, you know, maybe at the highest level, regardless of specific sector that we'll get into, um, macro market tailwinds are driving records amount of capital into the private markets, driving a lot of competitive pressure, right? And so some data points, uh, Bain does an annual PE report, 2020 outline that we have like two and a half trillion dollars of dry powder sitting in the private markets in 2019. And that's up from, uh, I think it was like a trillion and a half in just 2015. So a big chunk of that even went to this exploding venture capital asset class specifically. So you compound that, you know, since 2000, I think they said public listings are down 50%. 
We all know interest rates are near 0%, et cetera. So everyone's chasing growth into the private markets. Uh, and I guarantee that didn't slow down because of COVID. So all of it resulting in what is heightened competition, record number of new venture funds, record number of AUM within the venture capital asset class. And so you better know what makes you stand out uh, it, amongst all the competition out there. And I think um, a research report that Morgan Stanley's Michael Mubasin put out recently outlining the median 30-year uh, public market equivalent index for venture capital was one. So what that basically mean is you could have put your money in uh, you know, the PME, the public market S&P 500 30 years ago, and you'd be just as good as venture on that. Uh, call it data, that outlook. So in my opinion, VC is now facing what private equities are gone through and there will be more competition driving more compressed returns. So hence specialization comes out of it. So yeah, in, in a world where there is a ton of competition, like you said, you differentiating yourself is important and it's, uh, you know, it's really important from the portfolio company's perspective, you know, uh, a specialist venture investor that knows a sector that knows a space is going to be just a much better investor for you in, in terms of helping uh, helping make connections, having the right network of uh, of, of folks to, uh, that you could hire potentially as talent for for a company, um, you know, helping companies go through subsequent financings and exits and all of that, uh, you know, a specialist fund probably is better positioned uh, to do that. Uh, I guess you know, Freightwaves is all about uh, you know moving things around and and logistics. Uh, how do you think that that specialization plays out in logistics investing specifically? I think it's happening, you know, or it's been happening. It's it's a foregone conclusion. Uh, and the reason you can look at uh, some other data points, McKinsey released a report this summer. I highly encourage everyone to look at uh, startup funding in logistics specifically. Um, I think they said the investments have grown 17x since 2014 compared to 2x for most all other venture capital asset classes. So um, lots of capital has flown in in a big way since the last five, six years. And so as an investor, uh, we have to know uh, much more deeply the customer's pain point and buying habits so that we can uh, take advantage in that competitive market. So the same logic, maybe even the tactical go-to-market strategies and patterns that apply to consumer internet or digital healthcare, those nuances, uh, they don't necessarily apply to logistics. So you really have to be going deep and sleeping in this ecosystem. And so from there, we also have to be able to identify success amongst companies that do buy a little differently or ecosystems that buy a little differently than other categories. Sometimes that's looking at revenue growth, um, which could be very relative to the category, which may be different. Uh, when you think about SaaS napkin, it doesn't always work out that cleanly in these ecosystems when we're evaluating those top line financial metrics. Um, or other times it's, it's truly getting into more industry specific indicators, uh, whether it's companies that have gotten legacy uh, data systems of record access into those data corpuses that most people aren't giving out very easy, or even I think you're seeing a wave now of companies in this digital industrial ethos taking a chapter out of the consumer playbook and starting to really instrument their product with, with better engagement metrics, you know, daily active users, monthly active users, session link, all of those things that consumer apps maybe are tracking, those are far leading indicators in, in the digital industrial ecosystem to me than what is usually a slower revenue cycle, sometimes not always the case. I, uh, I, I stalked you online and you had an article, or you were referenced in an article a few weeks ago that talked about um, in digital, uh, the digital industrial world, the, the blitz scaling and, and whether that works or not. Um, 
can you can you talk a little bit about uh, your perspectives on blitz scaling for logistics startups or kind of more broadly digital industrial startups that you look at? Yeah, I mean, I think there will always be exceptions. Don't get me wrong, but my strong opinion would be the blitz scaling methodology doesn't work in these ecosystem and it's it's not for trying it's again it goes back to the go-to-market realities of a lot of these environments are mission critical right um airplane production uh wind turbine production you know things that you you can't go wrong and ask for forgiveness later and you know not to sensationalize it too much but i really think um that there is something to be said about the complex organizational uh, and workflows associated with buying some of these technologies that are already doing the whole, I buy SAP, I won't get fired, but if I you know, buy the startup, there's a chance. Um, it's just totally different than consumer and healthcare. So I really, really stress to founders, uh, which is at the end of the day, what matters here, just making sure to begin with end of mind and really capitalize those businesses appropriately because there are massive opportunities to drive great returns and drive a lot of value to the, to the customer and the startup, but you gotta be thoughtful from the very beginning on it, so. Sure. Yeah, we, we always say uh, a, a startup should raise the least amount of capital to take the biggest risks off the table as you know, or as early as possible. And so, uh, sometimes that doesn't mean raising the largest possible round that you can. It's raising a more measured round that gets you to a milestone that allows you to to, to kind of show that next proof point. Um, that's that sounds like that's what you mean when you say capitalize yourself appropriately. It is, and I, and I would say, I think aligned with that data about logistics specifically and in other broader industrial sectors, maybe manufacturing included, I, I honestly think we saw a massive wave of venture capital flood in, um, maybe taking a, a playbook from other verticals, thinking it would work exactly the same in these industries. And I think we're now after five or six years and you know some good, some bad, I think we're starting to see lessons learned be shared, kind of like what we're doing today and with other conversations we've had. And hopefully that again, gets back to the founders of these are different industries that buy differently and scale differently. And you need to be thoughtful about it at the earlier stage. So, um, which Zach, so when you think about specialization and how it matters, do you think there's a difference between maybe more of the world I play in earlier stage seed A versus kind of series B and growth in later stage? Um, so I go back to back to that data around specialist firms tend to have higher IRRs. And that data also suggested that smaller funds, that kind of discrepancy or that gap between generalists and specialists is, is more pronounced. So so maybe, um, and, and I could see, you know, uh, an argument that, you know, at Series C and Series A, uh, you're, you're evaluating a story, you're evaluating a product, you may not be evaluating in the same way, uh, you know, the uh, financials and the traction of a business. Um, at the same time, where we tend to play is Series B and later, and at those stages, companies are making huge decisions about where to be investing their resources to grow. And you know the quality of one growth path can be really different than the quality of another. And so uh, I think the specialization matters just as much to be evaluating a growth stage company um, as, it, as it would for a seed and, and series A company. But you're, you're the seed and A expert, so I'll, I'll flip it back to you too and, uh, and ask you the same question. Yeah, well, I think uh, what is awesome is to be able to talk with folks like yourself that they are starting to make um, really large decisions where a lot of capital is going to be deployed into this channel or that channel, right? And so I think for us, um, oftentimes revenue, and not always the case, again, 
Revenue is a lagging indicator to, again, what we talked about, some more industry-specific leading indicators about these industries that are just now, you know, entering their digital transformation. So I, I reference, you know, one thing other than just what is critical to us is founder market fit. We have to see someone that's lived the pain of that industry and now wants to go and build a solution to answer that pain. It's a lot harder if you don't have that domain expertise. But, but back to the point about instrumenting your product so that you can have better user engagement data, I think, again... Uh, if it's anything from what I'm seeing, we want to start instrumenting those products earlier because I think, you know, you tell me if I'm wrong, you as a growth stage investor, we all are going to do our financial homework and want to see diversified revenue base, nice month over month growth, et cetera. But I do believe those are more leading indicators that could give you some confidence that maybe revenue is not taking off the you know, T2, D3 the same way a consumer app would. But th that's what the type of thing I'm wanting to see from a user out of the companies I'm investing in. Yeah, good points. I mean, in, in the end, a company is is only worth the present value of its future cash flows. And so, you know, we'll look for any signals that there are going to be, you know, a lot of high future cash flows. And uh, in some cases, that's not high in growing revenue. That's, you know, signals that show us that they're, you know, the revenue that, that a company does have is going to be at a higher and higher and higher margin um, and is going to be easier and easier and easier to sell. And so that growth might be you know, it might be slower, but it might be accelerating. Uh, so those are all, all things that we think about. Um, you know, I started this by, uh, you know, talking about how the last time we saw each other was in Chicago before COVID a year ago. Um, and the, the world has changed a lot. Obviously, everybody's lives and the economy has been impacted by the last, uh, by the pandemic. Um, do you have any, any closing thoughts or, or thoughts about how uh, logistics investing and in particular early stage logistics investing uh, or in, in digital industrial in investing has changed? You know, maybe um, a market comment and then specific to the startups. I think, wow, we watched 2019 was, it was a bloodbath for a lot of folks that, you know, we saw capacity, you know, there's so much available that, you know, we saw a lot of companies go under and this year is like, you know, night and day, you can't even get freight volume right now. So it's, it's interesting to watch how volatile that can be. And obviously there's dynamics in 2020 that, that uh, are at play. Um, but then from a startup perspective, again, I think it's, it's really my parting comment is I think we've now seen five or six years of blitz scaling into some of these industries, not work out so well for some and, and others, right? The story is still to be written because you need to see an exit with an actual liquidity and some DPI to count, count those markers. So I do think we're watching the idea that um, subsidizing unprofitable growth for you know, burn at all costs to get to where you want to be from a top line metric. Um, I, I think we'll see some right sizing of that strategy. And again, I don't have the answer and opinions worth what you pay for it, but I think we're seeing more lessons learned shared on how to, how to scale in a more healthy manner. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, from my perspective, too, the the last year has just accelerated a whole bunch of trends that we were seeing before, you know, the rapid growth of e-commerce. Um, you know, we probably saw five years worth of e-commerce growth in just a few months and you know, a ton of knock on impacts of that. Things like reverse logistics becoming more important. Um, we invested in a company called Leptoro back uh, uh, several years ago um, that, that handles reverse logistics. I just think there's going to be you know, all of these kind of slower trends that we saw had a, had a steep pink uh, up and to the right. And um, hopefully there will be good opportunities out of that. Yeah. And I, I throw a plug out here for a trend I think is spot on with the whole we're moving upstream from last mile logistics to middle mile logistics to now people are saying, 
actually, I need to know how my procurement and purchasing departments are interacting with a bunch of suppliers across the pond somewhere. Sustainability, efficiency, you know, these Christmas items we're about to see under our tree, they're bought six months ago. So the idea that I kind of want to have better visibility to that supplier management process, uh, we put an investment in a company called Mercado Labs. And I, I think you're seeing some trends to really start finally ending the bridge of last mile, middle mile, and first mile logistics, which is exciting. So I think we went a little bit over, um, but Ty, always, always fun to talk to you. Uh, and hopefully next time uh, in person at Freight Waves. Appreciate it, Zach. Thanks, Freight Waves, for having us.